X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Wednesday, July 29th. A good day to you know what. Subscribe to The Local, rate it, review it, share it with friends. Today, back in the day, July 29th, 1848, during the Irish potato famine, the Tipperary Revolt, an unsuccessful nationalist revolt against British rule, was put down by police. It has been a long time since Tipperary. Also today, back in the day, July 29, 1958, NASA was signed into law by Dwight D. Eisenhower. He signed into law the National Aeronautics and Space Act, which created the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. That's NASA. And on July 29th, the Confederated Tribes of Umatilla Reservation honors Theodore Ted Stern, a leading authority on linguistics and anthropology of the Klamath and Nez Perce people of the Eastern Oregon Plateau. This is Dr. Theodore Stern Day. I want to also say happy 220th birthday to Alexis de Tocqueville, a French historian and philosopher who died in 1859. De Tocqueville, who said that the greatest strength of the American democracy he saw burgeoning was not its elected king, was not its Congress, was not its separation of powers. It was the active, engaged electorate. The people are our chance, folks. Today, we'll start with your Quick 6 News headlines. Kate Kay is back with more on Portland's upcoming facial recognition vote. And we continue our focus on the special election, which is coming right up for City Council Position 2 with Part 2 of my interview with Dan Ryan. Ballots are due in less than two weeks, folks, August 11th. X-ray. To start off, it is time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. According to the AP, a senior White House official says the Trump administration has started talking to Oregon's governor and indicated it would like to begin drawing down the presence of federal agents in Portland if the state steps up its own enforcement. The official stress of the AP, the talks are in the early stages and there is no agreement. Meanwhile, Mayor Ted Wheeler and Commissioner Joanne Hardesty have requested an immediate meeting with the Department of Homeland Security on the agenda, ceasefire and the removal of federal officers from Portland. This coming at the same time, the Portland Business Alliance is calling for removal of federal officers in Portland. The demand by Wheeler and Hardesty was sent to acting DHS Secretary Chad Wolf. In an interview last week, Wolf claimed that Wheeler is in support of violent protests. And U.S. Attorney for Oregon Billy Williams is also opposed the removal of federal officers from Portland. This move came after the news broke that more federal officers are being deployed here. A move that, if recent pass is any indication, will likely escalate further the growing tension between protesters and federal and local officers. And according to CNN, the federal government plans to keep forces in Portland until mid-October. The police union has called for an investigation into Joanne Hardesty's recent comments. Last week, Hardesty accused the police department of starting fires in order to justify attacking community members. Police Chief Chuck Lavelle called the comments completely false. Now, Daryl Turner, the president of the Portland Police Union, is calling for a city investigation into those comments. Turner has previously stated that Hardesty is, and I'm quoting, part of the problem in Portland. His current complaint argues that her comments could potentially encourage violence against police. And note that Daryl Turner's comments are in the context of Joanne Hardesty now making a big push to transform police oversight. That vote is scheduled to be today. The proposal may appear on the ballot in November. Daryl Turner, of course, of the police union, has criticized that proposal. The city now is fining the feds the maximum fine of $500 every 15 minutes for blocking a bike lane. That was imposed by the Portland Bureau of Transportation. That bureau is Chloe Daly's bureau. Your daily dose of coronavirus data. Yesterday, the health authority announced 342 new cases and 14 new deaths. That's the most deaths we've had from the coronavirus in Oregon in a single day, and it included its youngest victim, age 26. 
In total, Oregon has now reported 303 deaths linked to COVID-19. Later today, testing experts Dr. Melissa Sutton and Tom Jean will be available for public questions on testing. That's going to start at 1.30 p.m. today on OHA's Facebook page. Multnomah County had 74 new cases, which is a lot except that's way fewer than the 119 cases the day before, then 31 new cases in Washington County, 15 new cases in Clackamas County, and Umatilla County continues to struggle. 75 new cases. And the Oregon Business Summit was yesterday, and there was lots of discussion of a concerning future. According to the consulting firm Econ Northwest, Oregon's economy will not fully recover until... 2024, and only if the coronavirus curve quickly begins to flatten. The business plan also reiterated the promise they made at last year's summit to increase equity in the economy. Since then, the pandemic has disproportionately affected Black, Indigenous, and people of color. The data shows the BIPOC communities have experienced more concentrated job losses. The focus of the conference was retraining. Note, retraining is not another word for reparations or progressive taxation. This was the business summit, after all. According to a poll by DHM, more than two-thirds of Oregonians polled support the Black Lives Matter movement now. That's in contrast to 54 percent just two years back in a poll by the same company. And 55 percent of those polled think police treat white people better than they treat black people. The percentage of Oregonians who think the state is headed in the right direction has fallen sharply in just the last few months. 51 percent felt it was heading the right direction in April, 43 percent in June, and now 33 percent in July. As far as transforming the police department, 31 percent of respondents reported that police reform hasn't worked, that defunding and reinventing the approach to public safety is necessary for change. 39 percent believe police departments' problems with race can be fixed by reforming the existing system. Just one-fifth said police departments don't need any reform. And here's a big one. A majority of Oregonians now, 57 percent, support cutting some police funding and shifting those resources to social services. Portland public schools will be online only until at least November 5th. Governor Kate Brown detailed her criteria for allowing students back into public schools yesterday. In short, most students will be in virtual classrooms this fall. Governor Brown outlined a set of metrics that counties in the state must meet before students can return to the classroom. Counties must report 10 or fewer cases per 100,000 people over seven days. And the state must meet a test positivity rate of 5% or less over seven days. Both of these goals must be met for three straight weeks. The metrics also apply to hybrid instruction models. That's where students would only be in the classroom for part of the week. Most counties in Oregon are currently well above this metric. Multnomah County, for example, isn't 10 cases per 100,000 people. They're at 468 cases per 100,000 just last week. And statewide, Oregon is reporting a positivity rate of 6.6%. K through third students in districts with fewer than 100 students may get a head start. They can resume classes after fewer than 30 cases per 100,000 are reported over seven days. And for schools that do reopen, they'll be required to switch back to distance learning if cases start to rise again. This announcement comes after parents and teachers converged in Salem on Monday, where they demanded that schools remain closed until no new cases are reported for two weeks. However, Oregon's distance learning practices have also met with criticism. In an interview with OPB, Oregon Teacher of the Year Mercedes Munoz called distance learning a farce. Currently, teachers are expected to follow the Oregon Department of Education, that's ODE, their Ready Schools Safe Learners Guidance Packet. Okay, my friends, it is time to crack open your Ready Schools Safe Learners Guidance Packet. ODE plans to further update the guidance packet on August 11th. Stay tuned for changes to the packet. To better facilitate distance learning, Governor Brown is providing $28 million to public schools, which will go towards improving technology and curriculum and potentially updating the guidance packet. Some good news, Don't Shoot Portland's website is being permanently archived by the Library of Congress. 
And as activist and mayoral candidate Teresa Rayford explains, that's kind of a big deal. Teresa Rayford also, by the way, one of the very first X-Ray Award winners. X-Ray. DontShootPDX.org will be included in the library's collection of materials related to protests against racism. As a result, Rayford's community nonprofit will be permanently ensconced in the national story of protests for racial justice. Don't Shoot Portland was founded by Teresa Rayford in 2014 as a community action group fighting for police reform and accountability in Portland. And just last week, Riot Ribs transferred their control and funds to Don't Shoot PDX, and the Wall of Moms joined Don't Shoot PDX in suing the Department of Homeland Security. And in her Instagram post about the archiving of her website, Teresa Rayford simply said, I'm just too happy. And that is today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Portland City Council will vote later this month on what could be the most radical facial recognition ban in the country. X-Ray reporter Kate Kay is watching closely. In the latest episode of a new podcast series, Banned in PDX, she looks at how a facial recognition system developed by former St. Louis police officers is used right here in some Portland convenience stores. Here's an excerpt from Banned in PDX. This is banned in PDX. Whether it's the tiny bodega on the corner or the department store at the mall, people steal stuff from stores. So in the hopes of preventing theft, Jackson's Food Stores, a chain with more than 15 locations in and around Portland, decided to guard entrances to some of those stores with a facial recognition system. Uh, So what our our system does is... uh... At a certain time of night, they turn their, they flip the switch and the locks close the door. The camera and there's a, there's a camera and a speaker and a light outside. When the when the camera senses motion, the speaker kicks off. But simple instruction uh, in certain retail cases, they uh, they say, "Please look at camera for entry." That's Gabe Keithley. He co-founded Blue Line Technology. They're a small St. Louis area tech firm that makes the facial recognition system used at the Jackson stores in Portland and two stores in Tacoma, Washington. As the name indicates, along with Blue Line's three other founders, Keith Lee's background is in law enforcement. The former police had a simple idea. If they could prevent people wearing masks from trying to get into stores, they might be able to prevent store robberies. Founders of, of my company, we are all retired St. Louis uh, policemen. And the robberies that are going on at convenience stores and different retail applications is growing every year. And they're usually done between certain hours of night. And most oftentimes they're being committed by somebody, someone who has a mask on their face. They don't want to, they don't want to be seen. They want to commit their crime and get out. It is not clear whether the system is really working as intended during the pandemic when many people are wearing masks, preventing them from passing through the system. A Jackson's spokesperson said it has advised its stores to use a buzzer to unlock the doors for people wearing masks to protect against COVID-19. A lot of facial recognition systems are used to identify people. They take a photo or video image of someone's face, then sift through a database of face images looking for a match. But that's not how the Blue Line system at Jackson Stores works. The system doesn't identify anyone because it doesn't tap into any information that could identify who those faces belong to. 
When would-be customers look up at these cameras, they capture their facial images. Then the system checks to see if there's a match to anyone who is not allowed to enter Jackson's stores. Please look at camera for entry. Of course, facial recognition technology is controversial for a variety of reasons. Studies have shown facial recognition algorithms are far less likely to be accurate when attempting to detect the faces of just about anyone who is not a white male. Civil liberties advocates worry use of these systems could enable an overreaching police state fueled by ubiquitous surveillance that works in real time. There are concerns that the biometric data used in these systems will be stored indefinitely, shared, leaked, or sold. Portland City Council Commissioner Joanne Hardesty is an avid supporter of a proposal that would ban facial recognition use in Portland by city bureaus and by many private entities, including retailers like Jackson's. I spoke with Commissioner Hardesty in April about facial recognition at Jackson's. If you are uh, billing yourself uh, as a convenience store, collecting my biometric data should not be a price that I pay to come in and spend my money. You are providing a community service, and that community service should not uh, uh, make me give up my rights to my privacy and my own biometrics data. Um, And quite frankly, I mean, I would want to talk to people who have been excluded to find out why they have been excluded and what they were told when the door didn't turn green to let them in. Jackson's first began using Blue Line's facial recognition at its store on Southeast Grand Avenue in late 2018. And by September 2019, Jackson's had set up the system at two more stores here, both on Northeast Broadway. It also uses Blue Line at two stores in Tacoma. But here's the thing. Jackson's has banned only two people from its stores, and only one of them is alleged to have stolen from Jackson's here in Portland. The other is in Tacoma. One overnight employee at the Jackson's on Southeast Grand Avenue called the facial recognition system a good psychological deterrent. He suggested it could prevent some theft. But that same employee said the process required to make note that someone captured by the cameras might have stolen something. He said sometimes it's just too burdensome to keep up with when he's dealing with a rush of customers. So will Portland ban facial recognition use at his Jackson store on Portland's east side? Keep up with the latest on Portland's proposed ban, which could be the first anywhere to stop facial recognition in stores and other privately owned spaces. Subscribe to X-Ray's Banned in PDX podcast on Apple or other places you get your podcasts or look for it at xraypod.com. For xray.fm, I'm Kate Kay. You can hear the full version of that episode on the Banned in PDX podcast. You can listen on xraypod.com or Apple Podcasts and make sure to subscribe. The next episode of Banned in PDX coming soon. Looking at facial recognition use by police. X-ray. In less than two weeks, on August 11th, ballots will be due for Portland City Council position two. The seat that the late Nick Fish held will choose members of the Charter Review Committee, will quickly be immersed in COVID-19 response and recovery, We'll also be looking at budget adjustments in the month of November. In this runoff, Dan Ryan and Loretta Smith are asking for your vote. 
In the coming days, you'll hear from both Dan and Loretta on The Local. The full hour-long Dan Ryan interview is available on your favorite podcast platform under X-Ray's Vision 2020 Candidate Interview Series. The interview with Loretta Smith will be available tomorrow on Thursday. Here is part two of Jefferson Smith's interview with Dan Ryan discussing the good and bad parts of campaigning and his final pitch for your vote. What's the biggest thing you've learned on the campaign trail? And maybe it's not a trail at this point. Maybe it's just a series of screens. That someone told me when you first started running, I'll, tr- I'll keep this more positive. You, you'll be shocked and surprised of who you meet that you feel like you've known forever in a short period of time because you just totally connect and they become one of your best helpers. And even in spite of me doing this Zoom thing with so many people, I have like a list of 10 people that are now in that category and I've never even met them live. It's so funny, right? And so when someone told me that, I thought, oh, that's not going to work now that we're doing this uh, campaign with uh, physical distancing. And uh, anyway, that's been the best. um, That's been the good news. And the other good news is, you know, I've been working in the city for, I I came home to die in 1995. And uh, then I lucked out. And I really do mean that. I had to do a lot of therapy over the people that that passed away right before me. Like there was the guilt survival, the guilt survival thing. Um, And so I'm on borrowed time. And I'm just so excited to be alive and well 25 years later and then i'm like on the brink of becoming a city council member you know i'm like a you know becoming an elder queer with with hiv that loves to think out of the box and i just think bringing someone like my skill sets with my life experience to to just energize a city hall with some new life and i i just think that we need to give people a shot that have a really strong community experience uh, to help lead this city at this time. So, you know, I just love my city and I just am ready to, you know, do one more gig and why not clean up um, the mess and uh, from messes is when you have the opportunity. So. What's other than fundraising and for you, you have a fundraising background, so it might not even be that, but other than fundraising, what has been the most annoying part of the campaign? Oh yeah. Especially with, uh, I have to say because of the open and accountable elections, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed, like I have 700 more donors to my campaign than my opponent. So to me, it's a lot of hustle and it allows you to connect with so many people. So those five and 10 and $25 donors become a part of your uh, community that you learn from and that that educate me. And so I just, I just can't say enough good about it. So So what's your question again? (laughs) What the most annoying thing? Yeah. What's been on the campaign trail, the hardest thing to get through, the thing that's most challenged you? Uh... You can name a media entity. You can name a you could name a human being. You could name having to wake up or go to bed at a certain time. Whatever you want. I think the strain that it places on um, your interpersonal relationships. I I became a fiance after the primary, and I would say it's because we figured if if the two of us if if they said to me that we are doing better now than before we were holed up together and you turned this hold up situation into this panic centralized operation for a citywide campaign. That all said, it's still hard on relationships because I feel really, I feel really selfish. Like I can't always turn it off. And I really thank goodness for like watching a few television shows late at night. Um, I only fall in love with people that have really good senses of humor. That's like a requirement. 
And, you know, thank God for the laughter late at night um, when this is all done. But sometimes it takes me a while to unwind and I allow, you know, I'm a sensitive guy, I'll admit it. Um, and I'll let things like get into my heart and, and not my head too often. I got to ask before I ask sort of your kind of final pitch, has Loretta Smith gotten a bad rap? I recognize that critiques of your counterpart in the race potentially benefit you, but there also might be some responsibility as a white ally to call that out. Does she get treated fairly by the media and by white Portland? I am a candidate running for office as a white ally during BLM. And this has been fascinating. I have become more exposed to Portland's challenges with white fragility and uh, how many people haven't worked on their white guilt. I, I, I admit I work on it daily. It's a messy daily journey. And it helps when you have fierce uh, lovers in your life that have been of color. Uh, it's the only way you can survive the relationship is to have those dialogues. So I just need to focus on myself. This has been the most um, energizing, challenging, uh, poignant, I'm going to be able to write a good book no matter what, about what it's like to run um, for office during the summer. And uh, I, I will just say that. I'm going to keep it positive. That's how I, that's how I try to roll. Um, and I think that's what Portland needs. We need bridge builders right now. You know, I, I'll just say I was disappointed that the one, uh, she has one endorsement from the media, the scanner, and, you know, they didn't even, they didn't even interview me. And so I think it's important that we continue to have access um, to all of the, and, and include each people, everyone running for office and all the different media outlets that are doing endorsements. So you think she's being treated fairly or you don't want to opine on it? I think that she says enough about what she's experiencing and I'll let her continue to talk about that. I'm going to stay focused on the fact that we have uh, 1,700 people who have given to this campaign. We uh, weren't even supposed to be in the runoff, if you will. I mean, a lot of people didn't give, the Oregonian didn't even interview me in the primary. Um, I think that uh, I'm just excited to stay focused on winning this thing because I know I'm representing voices and constituents that have not felt connected to the political system for a long time. Everyone just says to me the same thing. You're so different than most people that run for office. And I say, well, I don't know how to be anything but who I am. I'm like 58 and I've never been um, excited about being a politician, but I'm very excited about um, being a leader for the city of Portland. I'm excited about giving all I can to my hometown. And so that's why I'm right here, right at this moment on the verge of becoming um, the honor of filling Nick Fish's shoes for the last two and a half years of his term. What are the best shows you're watching late at night? Um, I always forget. Good, Good Place. The Good Place. Yeah, I've watched it a few times. It's about it's sort of about kind of heaven. I ha yeah, I love it. And then I, I rewatched uh, Parks and Rec. I just for I, I, I'm really enjoying that. And maybe my memory's not great, so it feels like I'm watching all of them for the first time. Is there a so, character you really And I think it's to? preparing me for running for being on city council. It's a how-to. I think it's a how-to to run a city bureau. Uh, is there a character you relate to most? And if it's Leslie, no. The third would be Watchmen. That I that that oh. one was kind of too close to home at times. That was deep. All right, you're, you wanted me to talk about which character I went. Feel the most like? Yeah, on on uh, Community. Is there? Excuse not Community. Parks and Rec. Is there? Is it Leslie Nope, or is there somebody else you relate most closely to? 
I think I'm a cross between, I have to be really honest right now. I'm a cross between, I'm a cross between Leslie, Nope, and probably, um, oh God, what's his name? The guy that looks way too good for his age. Um, Rob Lowe? Oh, Rob Lowe, yeah. yeah his <laughs> he looked too good for his age at all ages. I know, right? That's, that's Rob Lowe's job, is just to look better than everyone else at whatever age anyone else is. <laughs> but that's I say I'm, I'm an optimist like both of them, and a little, um, um, I'm very passionate like Leslie Nope for sure. And I could take a punch really well like her. I like how she just gets right back up. <laughs> but I got to say, I love Donna and Ron. They're the pe I would marry Donna and Ron. Like those are the two, because they're just so crazy and fun. And to wrap up. Let's talk about Parks and Rec for another half hour. It'd be fantastic. Yeah. As we wrap up, what are you most excited about as you move from the campaign stage to office? Camp the campaign's ending soon, right? This is an August election, yeah. oddly timed. What are you most excited about as you envision serving? Well, for, I just love learning, first of all. So I just can't wait to uh, be a sponge with um, the people I'm going to work with. And especially, um, you know, with, a, with Commissioner Fritz leaving, I think it'll be a great opportunity to, I find when people are leaving, they're even more open to sharing their knowledge. So I want to really dive in to what she experienced and uh, really just figuring out, um, I'm a team player. And so I like to figure out what, what gap that I can fill in and, um, I think that's really important. We have to spread the field. All right, I'm a, I'm a total sports person. So it's like, how do you spread the field? You know, the lanes of basketball. And you see it with soccer, right? Where all the little kids, when they first start playing soccer, they're all around the ball. They'll bunch up around the ball. You got to spread the court. You got to figure out how to spread it and get things done. Um, and I just love developing new relationships um, because relationships move at the speed of trust. And the reason I, I'm in this thing is because over the years, in spite of being an outsider, and not being a political insider, and therefore a lot of people not giving me a shot, I built so many relationships in the city, and I'm excited to bring those relationships to City Hall, because I know a lot of people that get you know what done in this town that have felt completely excluded from City Hall for a while. And so stop the smugness, Portland. We don't know everything, like get over it, and let's like figure out how to be humble and come together and, and build forward. Dan Ryan, candidate for city council. Thank you so much for taking the time, man. You're really welcome. It's good to see you. Likewise. Likewise. Stay healthy. Cheers. I want you too. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks to Kate Kay and Dan Ryan for joining The Local, and thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. Thanks for subscribing and for your five-star review and for sharing it with a friend. And thank you, Democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.